Okay, it's Wednesday, March 6th, 2013. This is Solder Smoke 150. We're recording on a Wednesday. It's kind of unusual. We're um, having a snowstorm here in Northern Virginia, and I got the day off from work. The kids got the day off from school. It's a, it's a snow's coming down. It's a real slushy mess outside, so it's a good day to stay in the ham shack. And I decided that it was also time to put out the 150th episode of the Solder Smoke Podcast. Uh, this episode is sponsored by SMT Solutions, uh, a, a company run by our fellow home brewer, Chris, uh, KD4PBJ, smt-solutions.net. Talk more about them a little while later. Um, we've been getting through the winter here, guys, and uh, it's not been a tough winter. It's been an easy winter, a mild winter, but we are not winter people. My wife is from the Dominican Republic. We spent a lot of time in the Caribbean. We just came back from, uh, well, a while back, we came back from three years in sunny Italy. Uh, I just can't. <laughs> we just don't do well in the winter. And uh, so we're, we're glad that it's coming to an end, but uh, it's going out with one last blast here, and we're having a pretty pretty serious snowstorm today. I uh, also wanted to let you know about Winterfest. Um this is the, the one of the, probably the only ham fest that I've been going to lately. And uh, that's because it's right down the road. It's only about 10 minutes away. And it's put out put on by the uh, the club here in, uh, in Northern Virginia, Vienna Wireless Society, a fine bunch of guys. I used to be a member. I would be now, but I just uh, can't make it to the Friday meetings. But uh, always, always happy to go to the uh, Vienna Wireless Society's Winterfest Ham Fest down at Northern Virginia Community College. And I went again this year. This is the third time since we've been back in the States. Billy went with me. First one I went alone. Billy went with me last year. But this year he decided he wanted to sleep in. You know, he's a growing teenager. Kid's 15 now and he needs his rest. So uh, we let him sleep in on, on Sunday morning. But, uh, but my wife Elisa valiantly, and I say valiantly, decided to, to come along. Billy... Billy kind of diplomatically warned her about ham fests and about the kind of uh, extreme geekiness that she was like she would likely encounter at a ham fest. And uh, but she said, "Oh no, it'll be great fun. Off we'll go." So she and I set out early on Sunday morning and went down to the uh, to the winter fest. I was I was very pleased to see before we went down there that uh, that I had been located at a table. We, we brought some books down to sell and some junk to, junk to sell, so I arranged to have a, a table. And our table was right next to the table of W1REX, Rex, the guy, with, the guy from Maine who does the, uh, the rigs in the tuna cans. And it was, it was good to be right next to him. And I'm, I'm sorry to say I didn't get a chance to talk to him too much. He was so busy. He, his, his rigs were flying off the table. I wasn't nearly as busy, but I did have to do a little bit of uh, pitching of the book um, and talk to people as they came by. We had a great time. I sold a, a really surprising amount of junk and, uh, and a fair number of uh, solder smoke books. Um, but I wish I had had more time to talk to, to Rex. Uh, what happened was uh, we had planned to stay till around noon, um, but then <laughs> sales started to slump off at around 11 o'clock. And uh, I think Elisa at that point, although she was quite patient and diplomatic about it, I started to detect 
that she was about, uh, you know, her quota for geekiness for the day was pretty much filled. Plus, um, the kids were waiting for us at home. We wanted to hit the coffee shop on the way back. So one thing led to another, and we were out of there by about 1130. Um, sorry. Rex, so we didn't get a chance to talk, but I was happy to meet you and see your product and uh, and a fine product line it is. Uh, hey, uh, we, we, we talked to some um, really nice folks who came by the table. Uh, many of them had, had bought the, the book uh, the year earlier. Of course, I didn't, I didn't press them to buy yet another copy, but uh, one fellow told us that uh, he bought the book for his dad, who is um, uh, getting on in years and is in a, uh, a retirement home now. And he told, this was kind of a really sweet and touching story for us. His, his dad has, uh, was a lifelong, is a lifelong ham radio operator. Not active anymore, but, uh, still very interested in the hobby. And, uh, the fellow who bought the book, uh, told us that he had taken it, uh, to where his father's living and had sat down with him one afternoon and read him excerpts from the book. And apparently his, uh, his dad really enjoyed it. So, uh, Wow, that was a that was a nice story, and uh, very very glad you, he shared that with us. Um, let's see some of the interesting things that um, we saw at the uh, at the Hamfest. You know, 3D printers, 3D printers are uh, have burst onto the technological scene. They're not really our thing. You know, it, I, I guess they have some ham radio applications, but this is much more for the uh, the folks who are into kind of advanced computer stuff and uh, computer uh, physical world interface interesting technology and it's neat to see them producing these little uh, plastic uh, objects there and uh, so there were a couple folks there working on the 3d printers I suppose one day they'll be uh, they'll be in uh, in widespread use and with lots of applications for ham radio so we were pleased to see that also a couple of hacker spaces these are the uh, kind of communal shacks or communal workshops that are springing up around the country. There was one from Hack DC, and I think there was one group out from Reston out there in the western part of Fairfax County, Virginia, out where all the uh, the high-tech Internet companies are. That's a really interesting phenomenon. I don't know, though. I mean, I kind of like the idea of having my own shack and workshop, you know, and I guess it would be fun to go there and kind of, you know, share the work with with other folks and share the the uh, the, the the tools, especially folks who have a, a need for really specialized tools and uh, and uh, and routers and lathes and uh, you know um, computer controlled lathes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my needs are much more basic, and I think I have just about everything I need right here in the uh, in the N2 CQR ham shack. But the hackerspace thing really is kind of intriguing at a certain level. I'm sure you guys know what I mean. It's 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 kind of an, a neat idea to think that you're going to go to a workshop and find uh, you know congenial, like-minded um, technical people there who you can talk to your projects about and maybe consult with. And it, it it's very much like the old good old ham radio kind of team spirit, help the other fella kind of. Uh, Kind of thing, so I see some potential there, and I was I was glad to see uh, uh, um, a couple of the hackerspace folks at the um, at the Hamfest. Um, let's see what else. Um, so, well, good time. We had a good time there, and uh, thanks very much to the Vienna Wireless folks for 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 putting it on. Um, 
All right. The next thing, let me tell you. This we want to talk. I've been do, I've been melting a lot of solder. Been doing a lot of technical stuff, and I thought I would tell you about it. The first thing I want to tell you, though, this is this is really amazing. You know, last weekend, I, I'm not much of a contester. I never have been. It's not my kind of thing. You know, just you know all that yelling of five nine nine Wisconsin and all that kind of stuff. It's just you know, it's kind of the almost in many ways the antithesis of. Uh, of homebrew ham radio, certainly homebrew QRP radio. But as we know, um, there is a place for contests, and there is actually a use for contests for uh, for homebrewers. And I'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to have an important announcement to make. And I, I think I think this happened last year also, and it, it happened again this year. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I'd like to announce that I won the ARRL International DX Contest double sideband category. Absolutely. The important part is double sideband category because <laughs> I was the, undoubtedly, I feel very confident in saying that I was the only double sideband station on the air last weekend. Um, if anybody else knows of anyone else who is transmitting both sidebands, uh, please let me know, and I'd be willing to to concede <laughs> the victory if the other fellow made more contacts than I did. I made about eight, uh, but we had a had, I had a great time with it. I'll tell you one of the reasons why. You know, I've been working. It's a long saga. I've been working on this 20 meter double sideband ceramic resonator rig, originally built in Italy. Worked on in no, originally built in the Dominican Republic. Wow, it goes way back. Um, then worked on in in all the places that we were in Europe, and I just recently decided that the uh, the amplifier needed a complete change and it needed to be J botted. So I took the J bot amplifier designed by uh, Farhan, put it in there. Had all kinds of trouble with it. it no no fault of Farhan, no fault of the design. It's just for some reason I was getting all kinds of ugly. Um, parasitic oscillations in this rig. Um, I've talked about this before. But anyway, with the help of um, a wizard in Argentina, Edgardo LU1AR, um, the world's most interesting ham, we got the uh, the rig working. And, okay, so it's working. It's putting out about 3.5 or 4 watts double sideband. It's a little bit less than it's supposed to, but... Not enough to worry about. Um, anyway, it's working. It's putting out a clean signal. It's nice. Uh, and I, I worked a couple of stations, two, three stations with it. Had some fun. Spoke to a guy, um, uh, KB7BGS, on 20 meters. I, I just happened to turn it on, and I was in the uh, in the Swan Tech Talk net, the, the Swan Technical Talk net on 20 meter sideband. And it was great because I happened to be using a, an old uh, Shure microphone with Swan written on it. It was a Swan mic from the Swan 240 that I've been cannibalizing and using over the years. So uh, KB7BGS and the guys there were really uh, blown away by the fact that I was talking to them with a QRP double sideband rig with a Swan handheld microphone. That was fun. But the real fun came, the real confirmation that this rig is working and working in a big way came last weekend via the ARRL uh, 
Phone DX Contest. And, you know, Bedlam. Bedlam, all these really high-powered stations blasting in from all over the world. The band completely saturated with signals. No possibilities of a congenial QSO anywhere in there. All very competitive. You know, the, a lot of uh, kind of competitive spirit there. Uh, and normally not my thing, but I said, wow, this is an opportunity to see if this little rig can cut the mustard. And so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I uh, decided to jump in and see who I could talk to on this contest. And I was really amazed that I was able to work a number of stations. Let me see. I'll tell you who I worked. And I, I was so proud of myself that I, I started recording these contacts. Um, first one I worked was um, Hotel Golf 7 Tango. Then I talked to 9 Alpha 1 Alpha, 9 Alpha 5 Kilo. Then um, Tango Mike 1 Tango, LX2R, Charlie Sierra 2 Charlie, Echo Bravo 3 Charlie Whiskey, Echo Echo 8 Alpha Tango, Echo, I'm sorry, Echo Echo, Echo, Echo 8 Tango, and then the kind of the, like the, the real icing on the cake was CR2X. And at first I didn't even recognize the call. But CR2X is on San Miguel Island in the Azores, where I worked on the rig that, uh, that I used to talk to him. Anyway, it was, it was such great fun. And uh, this is sort of the band sweep segment for this week. I recorded a bunch of the, um, the contacts. And I'll just just play them for you now, and so you can you can hear what it's like to jump into the AWRL DX phone contest, running only a um, a three and a half watt double sideband rig to a dipole antenna from uh, from Northern Virginia. It is possible to work some stations under those circumstances, proving the awesome power of homebrew QRP. Okay, so here we go. We'll take a listen. Tango, Mexico, one tango, from November 2, Charlie, Quebec Radio, N2, CQR. November 2, Charlie, Quebec Radio, N2, CQR. November 2, Charlie, Quebec Radio, N2, CQR. Uh, very good. You're five nine five nine Virginia five nine Virginia November two Charlie Quebec Radio. Go ahead. One Tango QRZ. Tango Mexico one Tango QRZ. Got him. Tango Mexico one Tango. <laughs> that was with two watts double sideband. Oh, life is good. Lima X-Ray 7 India, November 2, Charlie, Quebec Radio. Uh, Lima X-Ray 7 India, contest. November 2, Charlie, Quebec Radio, N2, CQR. November 2, Charlie, Quebec Radio. Yes, November 2, Charlie, Quebec Radio. You're, you're 59 in Virginia, 59 Virginia. Go ahead. 59 kilowatts, November 2, Charlie, Quebec Radio, Roger. That's correct, 73. Kind of like in this contest. November 2, Charlie Quebec Radio, N2CQR. 
Yeah, this is November 2, Charlie Quebec Radio, your 5-9 Virginia, 5-9 Virginia. Hey, number 2, Charlie Quebec Radio, 5-9 kilowatt, thanks. Charlie, sugar 2, Charlie. Another one, Charlie Sugar 2, Charlie. November 2, Charlie Quebec Radio, N2 CQR. November 2, Charlie Quebec Radio, N2 CQR. November 2, Charlie Quebec Radio, N2 CQR. Negative, number 2, dos, numero dos. Sorry, November 2, 5-9, Virginia, muchísimas gracias, buena suerte. Virginia, gracias, mucha suerte, eco, 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 tango, cordes. Thank you, Charlie, Radio 2, X-Ray. November 2, Charlie, Quebec Radio. Thank you. November 2, Charlie Quebec Radio. Charlie Quebec Radio. Yeah, this is November 2, Charlie Quebec Radio. You're 59 Virginia. Go ahead. Uh, Charlie Quebec Radio. Go ahead. Yeah, this is November 2, Charlie Quebec Radio. You're 59 Virginia. 59 Virginia. Yeah, November 2, Charlie Quebec Radio. Thank you. Thank you. November 4, Charlie Whiskey Papa. Charlie Whiskey Papa. November 4, Charlie Whiskey, my boss, 5-9, Virginia, Big Alpha. And 4, Charlie Whiskey, my boss, thanks, you're 5-9, KW. Right, KSL, I have a call. Charlie Radio 2 X-Ray, right? Roger, roger, Charlie Radio 2 X-Ray. KSL, thanks. Yeah, you could hear my, the pleasure that I took in breaking through, well, actually not breaking through some of these pile-ups. It was more like waiting my turn in some of these pile-ups, but, uh, it was good, and uh, and I actually had a little bit of fun with it. And uh, um, I take back all the bad things I said and thought about contests. Uh, I don't think I'll be getting into them in a competitive way, but they do provide an opportunity to test out a rig and uh, and work some DX that you might not ordinarily be able to work. Um, okay, what else have we been working on here? Oh, another uh, technical project, and this is one that I approached with um, with real trepidation for some reason and I, you know sometimes these things happen to you it, it happens it's 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 part of of having the knack all of a sudden you'll get the urge to work on a particular kind of technology or a particular rig even though you know that the last six seven ten times you did this it didn't turn out well Either you didn't like it, or you got frustrated with it, or you couldn't get the thing to work, or you decided after spending 40 hours working on it that you really didn't want to do that, or you don't even really like that kind of rig or that kind of mode. Well, but you still go ahead and work on it. And it's a strange thing. I don't know how to how to explain it, but I'm sure you guys know what I mean. Um, this last week, I was seized with a desire to work on little homebrew um, PSK-31 Whisper 30-meter uh, digital DSB rig that I cooked up shortly before I left Rome. There's all kinds of pictures of this up on the, uh, on the blog page, and I'll, I'll probably post one along with this, uh, with this podcast segment just so that you guys get a picture of what I was working on. But it's, uh, 
the idea was that I, I got well I got into whisper weak signal propagation reporting system from Joe Taylor k1jt um, got into it and was fooling around with it for a while great fun and I decided that I kind of needed a um, a homebrew standalone rig and I decided to keep it as simple as possible and it would be the standard kind of direct conversion double sideband transceiver I built an oscillator and it was uh, uh, a slight variation from the design by George, Do George Dobbs uh, G3RJV um, and uh, it was his um, a VXO oscillator or, uh, or universal VXO uh, uh, design put that in there running with a crystal I think it was a crystal that Mike Rainey sent me uh, AA1TJ and um, we have it so that's that's kind of on the center of the board on a, and then on the left side of the board we have a direct conversion receiver it originally had an SBL1 in there as a diode ring mixer that was the front end but then uh, a nearby lightning strike uh, summer before last kind of cooked that SBL1 and uh, I replaced it with a 40673 uh, dual gate MOSFET that I had in the junk box now this sort of means that this rig has a front end that is remarkably similar to the infamous front end on the Heathkit HW7. Um, this the Heathkit HW7 did not win any prizes in the receiver category. As a matter of fact, there is a pretty large body of literature on how you can almost completely change. <laughs> the receiver especially the front end on a Heathkit HW7 um, but for again for some strange unknown perverse reason I decided even though I have an SBL1 in the junk box I decided I'd continue with the 40673 and see if I could get it working I consulted the schematic uh, from the Heathkit HW7 got some ideas on how to how to set it up and there it is um, the uh, the the 40673 gets um, the VXO uh, energy from the uh, G3RJV oscillator into one gate, and um, the other gate is RF from the antenna. I have one little one little um, I think uh, one LC circuit there for some kind of uh, selectivity going into the front end, but that's about it, and then. From there, the audio comes out and it goes to a, um, a discrete component audio amplifier designed by Roger Hayward. Um, uh, Roger had built this as a, um, uh, a, um, a, a companion receiver for uh, the junk box transmitter that was featured in, in QST a while back. And I really liked it because it's, the, it's not the standard LM386 um, one IC audio amplifier. It's all discrete components. It works really well. And that's the receiver. And uh, I hooked this whole thing up to um, my son Billy's old Italian Asus EPC notebook that we bought many years ago in Italy. It was Billy's first computer. Um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's not really very useful for many other things, but I found that it, by firing up 
FL Digi, Fast Light Digi, which is a really nice free program that I have on the ISIS EPC. Almost right away, I was able to see um, all kinds of signals coming down the waterfall. I was able to see um, PSK31 signals, RTTY signals, and it took me a while to recognize them. But now I see what they are. They're um, JT65, another um, mode, another digital mode created by, uh, by Joe Taylor, hence the JT, JT65. Um, you can see, I can see them on the screen from the FL Digi. I don't have the software yet to decode them, and it's kind of frustrating because I see these people talking to each other, but unlike PSK and unlike the RTTY, I can't decode them, so I can't, uh, I can't uh, kind of read the mail, <laughs> literally. But I'm going to work on that. I know there's a number of, of uh, programs out there that will allow you to you know, listen, allow you to decode the JT65. JT65 is um, um, kind of it's a keyboard-to-keyboard -keyboard kind of chat uh, program. I think uh, Joe originally designed it for use with Moon Bounce and other exotic modes. But people are using it for regular QSOs, and uh, it looks very intriguing. Apparently, very well suited to real low-power operation. Uh, something that'll be uh, come kind of um, uh, of of of, uh, of interest to to the QRP community. There's another thing I discovered here, and this this reminds me of a letter a while back. Um, I think podcast before last. I got an email from a listener, and I don't have it handy now. But a fellow wrote in and. Uh, I had responded to um, an email question about whether it would be okay to use uh, double sideband for PSK31. And, um, of course, <laughs> without even thinking about it too much, I said yes. Um, and then somebody wrote in, as, as is often the case when double sideband comes up, somebody wrote in with the um, kind of the standard admonition about how double sideband uses twice as much spectrum yeah yeah and how it could cause interference yep yep we know about that eh, anyway what he said was right of course but um, we've always kind of taken the position that uh, that Doug DeMaw took that uh, there's a benefit in double sideband and that it allows um, for experimentation it allows you to get on the ra on the air with rigs that are far more simple than uh, single sideband rigs and as long as you keep the power level down uh, you're not likely to cause great havoc on the airways with your um, unwanted sideband anyway um, this fellow wrote in and I you know he's right of course you have to be careful about it but as I've been playing around with the um, with FL Digi and um, my double sideband receiver I've come to discover some interesting things about the applicability of double sideband in the digital world. Here's what goes on. I set my oscillator, the G3RJV oscillator, I set it to 10.140.1 megahertz. And that's where the oscillator runs. Now, FL Digi, of course, um, is designed for, for sideband rigs, so it takes an audio passband starting about 300 hertz above that frequency and extending up to, I guess, about uh, 
about three, yeah, it looks like about, yeah, to about three uh, kilohertz above it. So with the oscillator set at 101401, the, uh, the waterfall is displaying 101404 all the way up to 10143.1. Um, and that's the, uh, basically that's upper sideband. Now here's, a, here's the intriguing part. Of course, I am also, because of the double sideband receiver, simultaneously listening to the, basically the, the other side um, of the center frequency, the other side of the oscillator frequency. So being displayed on my screen is also 10137.1 to 10139.8 and you know the thing thing I find very comforting about it is uh, if I if I see a frequency that I believe is is clear and I, and I haven't worked on the transmitter yet but supposing I see a frequency that is clear and I want to call CQ on PSK 31 um, if I don't see anything there in the waterfall I can also be fairly certain that it's um, it's also clear on the other side, and that I won't be interfering. It's the equivalent of of you know running a a, a double sideband transmitter and listening on the direct conversion receiver. You're um, you're listening to both sides of zero beat, and if you don't hear anything, you can you can assume that the frequency is clear both on upper and lower sideband. So there you you can make your um, potentially uh, obnoxious uh, <laughs> transmissions a little bit more socially acceptable and uh, technologically responsible. Um, one other thing I found interesting is that you have to you, you realize that you know some of these modes seem to be upper sideband or lower sideband sensitive. For example, I think RTTY runs in, in essence in lower sideband, so you have to switch around a little bit. And um, for example, if somebody was transmitting you know, from on that on that lower uh, below my uh, oscillator frequency, and I was watching it in in the passband, I might for some of these modes I have to switch back and forth between USB and LSB to get the uh, FL Digi uh, software to properly decode the uh, the uh, the material. Uh, but I'm having I'm having fun with it. Every once in a while, I I get uh, kind of um, computered out and the uh, the um, computer starts to struggling with the software and getting everything set up and and uh, I, I start feeling kind of uh, I get kind of tired of it so that at that point I just switch back over and go back to double sideband phone and uh, I'm happier but it is kind of cool to have this little tiny uh, web notebook with FL Digi playing on it have the water waterfall scrolling by and me watching guys uh, talk to each other with uh, PSK 31. Um, I, I think it's I think it's kind of neat, and I'm going to work on the transmitter. I, I I thought about turning this back into kind of a whisper rig, which was my original um, intent when I built it, but I don't know. Uh, I I I got I got kind of tired of whisper. It's very um, almost it's almost kind of antisocial. You know, there's no real interaction with the uh, the person at the other end and so after a while you know it was interesting to see my signals 
being picked up and see me picking up signals and reporting it all to uh, Whisper headquarters there for display on the net. But um, I don't know. I, I, I'm really kind of intrigued by, uh, by PSK31. So I'm going to work on the, the, the double sideband transmitter that I have on the other side of this um, PC board. I, I suppose for PSK31 I'm going to need a, uh, a linear final. Right now I have a, um, a, a Class C final because you can get away with Class C for Whisper. But I think for PSK31 I'm going to have to have a linear final there. I'm going to try to work something up where I have at least a watt or two uh, going out. So um, who knows, in the next few weeks you might uh, see me uh, streaming in the waterfall there with PSK31 on the 30-meter band. All right, speaking about technological frustration, today's sponsor represents a solution to that kind of heartache. We're talking about SMT Solutions, a company run by a solder melter just like us, uh, Chris, KD4PBJ, uh, SMT Solutions. It's the kind of company you can turn to if you have run into trouble with surface mount projects. And believe me, fellows, I've been there. As you know, I'm more of an analog hard hardware, through-hole, axial lead kind of guy. And uh, I know that surface mount is the way of the future. And I know that we're going to see more and more projects built with it. I know it's the way to go, but it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to work on that small stuff. And I've had problems with it. I tried, I've tried to build uh, SDR, uh, software-defined radio projects. I've had so much trouble that I came away with the conclusion that I may be condemned to spend the rest of my life as a hardware-defined radio guy. But there's no need for that kind of limitation because there are people out there who can help you. And Chris at Surface Mount Solutions is one of those people. Um, I'll just read you a little bit from his website. SMT Solutions offers quick turnaround service for PC board rework, board assembly, cable builds, and prototype builds. Our techs are IPC 7711 certified and ready to serve you to meet your needs. Whether you are a large corporation or an electronics experimenter needing assistance with a board build or surface mount chip installation, we can help. No project is too small. We are trained in through-hole and SMT work and can handle components down to 0201 size. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this this we all run into our our own technical limits sometimes and and I certainly have run into mine in the surface mount area I wish I had known about Chris's company when I ran into my problems with the uh, SDR rigs I might have uh, <coughs> I might have you know given it a little bit given it another try with the, perhaps some assistance uh, from from a company from SMT solutions so if you're in that situation or you got a project or you're putting together a kit or you you need to tap into some real expertise on surface mount construction contact SMT solutions they're at www.smt-solutions.net that's www.smt-solutions.net and I'll have a link to them up at the uh, front and center portion of the solder smoke blog thanks a lot alright let's see Let's see. I think we're we're still on. Let's let's keep it in the technical realm. We have a uh, uh, a lexicon issue to discuss, but we'll uh, talk about that in a few minutes. Um, I mentioned the the problem I had in getting the uh, the amplifier in this 20 meter rig stable. 
and I mentioned that Edgardo in, in Argentina, LU1AR, had, uh, had helped, and he had uh, prescribed a, um, a resistor to be placed across the, uh, the coil of um, one of the transformers in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the broadband amplifier. And I did it, and it worked. Now, here's the problem. I'm not entirely sure why it worked, and that, of course, is uh, bothersome. Um, and, it, you know, I, I went and I found some references from Doug DeMore about um, swamping or, um, or, or Q-killing or DQing um, uh, coils. He was, he was mostly referring to RF chokes um, in, in what he wrote. I think other engineers have called this damping also, something like that. And I always understood it as um, a, an effort to, re by, by placing this resistor across the, the coil, you reduce the Q of the coil, and that somehow that helps get rid of these parasitic oscillations that cause so much uh, pain and heartache uh, among home brewers. And it's a real problem. It's, it's, in my experience, it's about every time I build an amplifier, I have to struggle with it for a while to, to tame the beast. And it, you know, it really shouldn't be that hard, I guess, but I find that it is. Maybe it's just me. But I, then I get emails from other guys, and so it may be a, a more widespread problem. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I got a really a nice, thoughtful email from a very esteemed home brewer, Todd, VE7BPO. And he told me that he'd been thinking about this. He pointed out, as, as some other um, folks have pointed out, that the, the Q on these coils is already fairly low, and, and putting a resistor across them might not be really having much of an effect on the Q. Now, I'm still thinking about this, and I haven't really done any uh, measurement or experimentation with it yet, but I'm just thinking out loud. The way... I had always understood the um, the way in which this resistor trick might actually be affecting the physics of the amplifier was as follows. Maybe um, these coils, whether they be in the RF choke or, or in the, the, the broadband transformers, might be because of some uh, capacitance in the coil or, or capacitance around the coils have a self-resonant frequency in the low frequency range. For example, in my case, there might have been one of the coils there uh, that had a, um, you know, with just stray capacitance, might in effect be forming a resonant LC circuit at fairly high Q um, in the problematic low frequency range, in my case around 250 kilohertz. And because of the presence of these one or more um, self-resonances in the circuit, it might be causing the amplifier to turn into an oscillator at these low frequencies. Now, whenever I've worked with um, LC circuits before, I always was aware of um, loaded and unloaded Q. In other words, you might have a, um, a bandpass filter that works really, really very well and is very sharp until you hook it up into the actual circuit 
and when the circuit loads it down, when the circuit puts a relatively low impedance or, 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 or resistance across the, uh, the filter, the, the response curve of the filter flattens out so you get a much lower loaded Q. And my thought was that maybe this resistor prescribed by LU1AR is having the same effect on the unwanted uh, self-resonance circuit that is uh, popping up around the, um, the the RF choke or the transformer. Now, when I was looking at the the the, uh, the the paper that Todd had sent me, I just started fooling around with one of the online um, resonant frequency calculators, and I found I plugged in some of the possible values of the uh, the coils in the transformers that I was working with and they were all around 3 microhenries up to about 12 microhenries I think one of them might have been 21 microhenries but I plugged those values in and then I plugged in the frequency of the parasitic oscillation that I knew was causing me trouble and that was around 250 kilohertz and my question to the uh, online calculator was what value of capacitance with that um, uh, coil would um, would result in oscillations at uh, 250 kilohertz? It was interesting. In most cases, the capacitor value was either around 0.1 um, microfarads or um, 0.01 microfarads, which of course are very common values for the bypass uh, caps in uh, in the rigs that we build. So who knows? I, I think I may have, uh, I'm hoping, I'm thinking that this might be kind of a back-of-the-envelope um, hand-waving explanation of, of what's going on here. And I know the more rigorous um, engineers out there will be uh, telling me that I need to measure and calculate an experiment and I I do I know I agree but let me know let me guys let me know what you think about this theory of mine about what's going on with uh, LU1 ARs um, very effective uh, resistor that saved my um, <laughs> saved my JBOT amplifier from uh, a toss into the uh, into the, the frustration bucket <laughs> all right now Yes, it's time to discuss a um, pronunciation issue, and this has come up. Some of you guys may be getting tired of it, but we'll we'll try to put it to rest here this week, and that is um, the pronunciation of the word kludge, and I say kludge, K-L-U-D-G-E. Um, this came up um, one or two podcasts ago. I said kludge, and immediately a bunch of guys wrote to me and said, no, no, you're wrong, Bill. It's not kludge, it's kludge. In other words, not kludge as in fudge, but kludge as in stooge. And I don't know. Uh, so we consulted Wikipedia and got a very kind of ambiguous answer. Some people say kludge, some people say kludge. I remember kludge. I remember kludge from listening to um, the uh, the technical wizard's on 75 meter AM in the northeast part of the United States during the mid 1970s. 
Some of them, including Tim, WA1HLR, are still on the air on those same frequencies, still dispensing lots of technical wisdom. And I remember these guys, and I remember their use of the term kludge. And a kludge is kind of um, an ugly but at least temporarily effective workaround that allows a circuit or a device or a mechanical object to work for a while but in a way that its designer never intended. It's um, the, I put a picture up on the blog page of a bridge that had fallen into the river and they had taken some look like steel girders with wood on it and made a temporary um, replacement for the part of the bridge that had fallen into the river. It worked but it was ugly and it was certainly not an optimal design. And that is referred to as a kludge. And, uh, and in, in my uh, Hamshack workshop, anyway, it's a, a very <laughs> important and frequently used concept. <laughs> um, let me just summarize what we found out so far. There seems to be a generational aspect to this. Um, older folks who uh, worked on hardware and more in the analog world tend to use the term kludge, whereas Younger folks, more digitally oriented, tend to say kludge. Um, there also seems to be, uh, yeah, as I said, it, it, there also seems to be a hardware versus software uh, division here. The hardware guys tend, but not always, but tend to say same tend to say kludge, and um, the software guys tend to say kludge. Tony Fishpool. Uh, sent me an email from Great Britain, and he points out that there is also a, uh, a transatlantic, you know, two peoples divided by a common language element here. Our, our British cousins, he reports, tend to say kludge, and um, we here on this side of the Atlantic, of course, have a greater, I think, proclivity to say kludge. So, I think, um, anyway, I, I, I have to apologize to Steve Silverman because in the last podcast, I, uh, I claimed that, that, uh, that Steve had written to me and that he, a noted authority in, in the world of, of QRP um, pronunciation and, uh, and lexicon, had come down on the side of kludge. Now, <laughs> this was not sort of solder smoke spin control. <laughs> it wasn't a deliberate effort to distort uh, the input of a noted expert. It's not the kind of thing that you see on, uh, on, on television news. No, no, it was not deliberate. It was just a result of me reading Steve's email really fast and completely getting it upside down and backwards. Steve has come down on the side of, of, of kludge, which for me is... Um, Kind of a disturbing and but important uh, data point because he is such an authority on these matters. But um, I told Steve that um, that I would uh, I was thinking about using I think I put this up on the blog the uh, the vast powers of the Solder Smoke Media Empire to encourage people henceforth to use the much more pleasing pronunciation kludge. It just it just sounds right. It just feels right. You know sometimes they say oh he's going to fudge it. Or, you know, it sort of sounds like what you would do if you really can't do it the right way. It just does. 
I don't know why. So um, we may launch a campaign here uh, to, uh, to 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 have the word pronounced uh, kludge. These are the great issues that we take up on Solder Smoke. We promote double sideband, and we try to get the word kludge pronounced as kludged. <laughs> Big issues in the world, folks. Um, let's see a few other things going on here. I found we've been we've been cleaning out the house uh, in an effort not to um, risk um, an appearance on that uh, Discovery Channel show about the hoarders. Well, we weren't close, but the ham shack was getting getting I think close to that category. So there's been a lot of cleaning out of the house, and um, in the process of cleaning out of the house, I I found uh, my old rock and roll. Um, 1970s and 1980s collection of cassette tapes. Hold on a second. I gotta get the, the dog out of here. <laughs> that was Capucho, the Wonder Dog, just came in. All right, um, Capucho's gone. Um, anyway, I found this old bag of uh, cassette tapes, and most of them I thought were in pretty good shape. And um, I put a few of them in the tape deck, and they were going kind of slow. I, I almost started to throw them out. And, um, and then I realized, wait a second, this is Solder Smoke Headquarters. There's got to be a way to fix in this thing. And so I took the can of Deoxid D5 and gave a little squirt to the part where, you know, the kind of the, the hub of the wheel on the cassette tape. And uh, there it is, working again. Steely Dan playing yet again after 25 years in storage. All right, so I'm quite proud of myself having fixed the cassette tapes. Um also found a whole bunch of old uh, kind of iPod Nanos and stuff that the kids had. And I'm refurbishing those. So progress all around here. Speaking of progress, you know, I mentioned to you guys that uh, that Billy uh, was in um, a science fair. His science project involved taking a look at the, um, the spectrum of light emitted by various kinds of light bulbs, you know, regular old incandescent bulbs and uh, CFL bulbs and... Uh, and an LED bulb and all that, and to try to see which one of them actually comes closest to producing natural light. He did a good job on it, and uh, it was kind of cool to see him working on something related to electronics and science. He had a lot of fun with it, and he, he won second place. I was very proud of him, really good. So uh, he did a good job, and, and, and I have to say, it was really good because he did the whole thing himself. Some of these projects... <laughs> I don't know. I took a look at some of the other kids' projects and thought, man, this is, somebody's got a PhD in this, and I don't think it's the 14-year-old kid. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Billy, uh, he, he got uh, he got a prize there for the for the uh, for the science fair, doing very well. Uh, excellent. Um, a bit of sad news came across the uh, the uh, the internet transom this week. Um, uh, a guy that we've admired for many years, uh, Pat Hawker, G3VA, uh, passed away. Uh, Tony, F you know, it's funny because right around the time that I got the news that uh, that Pat ha had died, I, as part of this cleaning out and, and uh, going through old stuff, I had in my hand uh, a CD of Pat's collection of technical topic articles from Radcom that Tony Fishpool had sent me a few years back. And it was really weird because it just right around the time that I had picked this up and I said, wow, I'm really glad I found this CD that, uh, that Tony sent me. I was, I'd been thinking about Pat 
and his articles and uh, his contributions to ham radio over the years. And uh, just just minutes later came the email announcing that uh, that Pat had had passed away. A real uh, giant uh, among uh, ham radio uh, uh, writers, certainly. Uh, his technical top technical topics uh, column or TT in uh, in Radcom magazine was a real is a, is a real treasure treasure trove for um, radio amateurs, especially those who are technically inclined and into home brewing. There's been a, a number of I think four four or five anthologies collections of all these columns, and I have them all. They're great, and as I mentioned, there's a CD there and. And I find myself very often if I'm running out of the house and I need to grab something to read while I wait outside the shoe store or the supermarket or something like that, I grab a, a copy, a, a technical topics anthology, and I always find something in there that's um, that's really, really interesting. So um, anyway, um, Pat will, like uh, like many of the uh, the great ham radio uh, uh, writers, will... Uh, will will live on in his writing and will be continuing to inspire people for, for, for many years to come, I'm sure. All right, let's see. That gentleman, ladies and gentlemen, that means it's time for Solder Smoke Mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. All right, Solder Smoke Mailbag, yeah. Right, before I get started, one thing I forgot to mention, we came back from Winterfest with some extra books solder smoke global adventures in wireless electronics and if any of you guys want one especially if you want one signed by the author shoot me an email and we'll work it out uh, every once in a while i get an email by some from somebody who says i want one but i want it signed or i want it dedicated or signed for somebody else and I, i've never been able to do that because the books are in the hands of the suits at lulu <laughs> But now I have a I have a few extras that came back from Winterfest, and so let me know if um, if you you want one signed by the author, and we'll we'll work it out. All right, uh, the mailbag. Alan W two A E W, the guru of Tektronic test equipment, and the producer of fantastic videos, has come up with three new ones, walking us through the schematic uh, uh, diagram of an MFJ rig. And a Heathkit HW9, and a, and a really useful video, also all of them useful, but a really particularly useful one on the use of diodes as switches and ham radio rigs. I have the links up on the blog. Check it out. I think you'll really like it. Uh, Paul M0XPD is on the verge of achieving guru status. Uh, you'll recall a while back, uh, Paul said that uh, being mentioned in solder smoke was akin to the uh, British colonial practice of being mentioned in dispatches, which was a real honor in the uh, in the British Army. Um, well, I think Paul is is getting to, it's getting to the point where if you're mentioned on Paul's blog, that's the equivalent of mentioned being mentioned in dispatches, because Paul has been now featured several times on Hackaday because of his work with using Raspberry Pis and Arduinos for uh, beacon purposes. He started out with a piece on how he used a Raspberry Pi computer for um, producing all kinds of beacon signals. And then uh, it got placed on Hackaday. I, I forwarded to the Hackaday 
guys, and they put it right up on the site. And uh, this drew some uh, kind of uh, kind of negative commentary, some kind of troll comments from uh, some of the uh, more socially challenged uh, technical folks who hang out at Hackaday, and they were offended by the use of a Raspberry Pi for such a simple purpose as generating beacon signals. They said, oh, it could be done with a microcontroller, and a Raspberry Pi is overkill. Of course, they said it in very harsh, nasty ways. <laughs> for some reason, that's the way they, they talk sometimes. But anyway, uh, Paul, not, not in response, but just a, a few weeks later, had uh, an equally brilliant uh, beacon generator, this time using um, a version of the Arduino that, I love the name of this thing, it's called the Watduino, and I, I imagine it pronounced with a kind of British um, kind of uh, working class Watduino kind of kind of pronunciation, and it's W O T D U I N O, and it, it also, I mean, perfectly stands for What Do I Know? Oh man, perfect! This is perfect. Anyway, um, mentioned in dispatches. Congratulations, Paul. Check out Paul's work. You can see it, uh, a lot of it on, on his site and, of course, on, uh, on Hackaday. Got an email from our old friend from Tokyo, our man in Tokyo now back in the USA, Jonathan San. He, uh, he wrote that he really liked the uh, Donald Fagan IGY theme of uh, the last podcast and told me that, that I should be able to pronounce the name of the ham radio flea market in Japan that is so famous. And he said that I'm essentially overworking it uh, and that in the Japanese it's pronounced just like you see it so here goes um, Akihabara Akihabara how's that Jonathan son let me know Arigato. all right let's see here um, nice email from Harv WA3 EIB Harv you'll recall is uh, working on HT37 several of them and he's got two more that he's working on he's recapped them he sent me some really nice pictures. Keep up the good work, Harv. Those HT37s are fantastic rigs. Mine is helping to heat the room here right now. Um, Steven, G6VRD, sent in a really nice uh, commentary on the kludge controversy. The kludge controversy, I should say. Um, he was up atop Mount Wellington in Tasmania. You know, Solder Smoke has always had a special interest in Tasmania. I can't really explain why. Maybe an antipode thing, but uh, but Tasmania is featured very, very frequently on Solder Smoke. And also, Tasmania is one of the only places on Earth where Solder Smoke is actually broadcast over the airwaves via a two-meter repeater system. So we, we've, we've got a special uh, connection there with uh, with Tasmania. Uh, Stephen was down there, and he was atop Mount Wellington, where um, they they have some really big uh, uh, RF transmitters. And that he, he he sent us a picture of a sign that he took uh, up there on the mountain that warned people that the uh, the RF in the area was so intense that it would likely render their uh, their keys and their uh, electrical locking systems on the cars inoperable. Wow. That's yeah, a real QRO problem. <laughs> Apropos of the, uh, the kludge theme, uh, the sign up there on Mount Wellington advised customers to use the metallic reflective wind or uh, sunscreen that they put inside the, the windshields and try to position that between the, the car and the transmitter tower and the antenna tower 
in an effort to deflect some of the RF so that they could open their car doors. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, thanks for that, Stephen. Uh, an email from uh, KD0GLS, a frequent uh, contributor. He, uh, he um, comments on uh, remarks by Dr. Sheldon Cooper on the mathematical significance of the number 7-3. Take a look at the blog. We have uh, some stuff up on this uh, interesting issue. Uh, Dino Pappas, also a frequent uh, correspondent, KL0S, writes on the uh, Kludge versus Kluge controversy and suggests that we, we take a vote on the pronunciation. Dino, Dino, what were you thinking? This voting thing is very risky. You could uh, you could end up with an, an answer that you, you don't like. So, uh, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, I responded and pointed out the... Um, the pitfalls of um, of Dino's suggestion. He immediately saw the wisdom of uh, of my position and, and remarked that it reminded of him of his time in the in the military, in which he told his soldiers that um, they were out there to defend democracy, but that uh, they weren't necessarily going to practice it themselves. It's <laughs> a good one, Dino. Good to hear from you. Really enjoying those uh, those articles about the. Um, the transceivers and the 40673s in QQ, uh, very nice. Got a nice email from Richard, WB2PEF, getting back into ham radio after a long time away and uh, has dusted off a, a rig, a Barbados rig designed by Doug DeMaw. This was a, a really uh, famous uh, homebrew rig designed by W1FB. And... Uh, um, key element of it is the barebone superhead receiver that I talk so much about here on this podcast. Matter of fact, it's a barebone superhead that I use on 17 with my uh, uh, homebrew SSB transmitter. I built another uh, barebone superhead for uh, for 20 meters a long time ago back in uh, the Dominican Republic. Anyway, he's dusting the rig off and was looking for advice on how to get it working and I tried to help him. Uh, Richard, if you're listening, please let us know how you're doing. That's a really interesting Rip Van Winkle project. Um, Steve Silverman, you know, what would we do without Steve? You know, he, he, you know, not only is the is he the uh, the lexicon and pronunciation expert for the entire Solder Smoke Media Empire, he he's written to us about the fascinating aspects of how the Chinese uh, send and make use of uh, Morse code in communication. Really interesting stuff. Steve, good to hear from you. Uh, Kim BK5FJ. Uh, sent in a nice email on CubeSats and uh, and our audio. I'm always interested in reports. And, um, and before I go, just let me remind you guys that uh, this episode of Solder Smoke is brought to you by SMT Solutions. If you have any problems with SMT-related technology, surface mount technology, boards, projects, kits, they're in position to help. SMT Solutions, that's at www smt-solutions.net there's a link up on the blog page hey thanks for listening guys good luck and 7-3 from the snows of northern virginia the solder smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of northern virginia the podcast is available via itunes and directly from our website soldersmoke.com Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke 
the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!